think we can all agree that metrics matter and that we need to be measuring the success of our programs if we're going to demonstrate impact. And we need to demonstrate impact because we need to show stakeholders and donors that we actually do what we say we're going to do. And we need to be able to show them that we are impactful, that we're actually doing what we said we were going to do, that we're affecting some type of change if we're going to expect them to give us money. And I actually feel it if you know me, then you know that it's our responsibility. If we are going to have a mission and we're going to say that we make a change for a specific population or a specific cause, we need to be able to prove that we actually do that and we don't just take money and not do that. We have to be prioritizing and investing in evaluative measures for our programs. I feel like it is fundamentally our responsibility as a nonprofit, as somebody that runs a nonprofit. Okay, but I know that people get super overwhelmed by like, what do we measure? If we choose what to measure, how do we track it? And I feel like nonprofits end up choosing a whole bunch of things and they end up floating in a whole bunch of data that may or may not be meaningful to the end user or to your stakeholders or to your donors. And you need metrics that are powerful so that you're not tracking a whole bunch of stuff that doesn't even matter and nobody even cares. So today I'm going to talk about the one metric that you need to focus on, the one metric that you should care about, and then how you can measure it. All right, let's talk about it. Welcome to episode 39 of For Purpose Live, where I help you get clear, get focused, and be impactful by showing you how to fully step into your calling that you've been given without taking on that common narrative that if you're a nonprofit founder that you have to struggle. That's right, together we can get you in your sweet spot using your strengths and your talents to serve this world and build a huge movement for your cause simply by living for purpose, on purpose. I am your host, Rebecca Britt, and today we are talking about the only metric that matters, okay? Now, before we dive into this one metric that matters that I really want you to think about, if you care about metrics, which obviously you do because you're listening to this, I have a metrics that matter worksheet. It will help you decipher specific metrics for your cause. It's at forpurposelive.com metrics. It's a free worksheet. You can download it and start getting your metrics that you wanna track down today. Okay. Because I hate videos that take forever to get to the point, I'm just gonna tell you that the number one metric that you need to be measuring is, is anybody better off, okay? Now, you can and you should have other metrics, but if you don't have this one, you're so missing out, okay? So what do I mean by, is anybody better off? You need to have a metric that tells donors and stakeholders that somebody is, or a population or a cause is better off because you exist. So a lot of nonprofits, they get lost in quantifying the number of services they have, the number of downloads, website metrics. Oh my gosh, they're like, look how many followers we got last year and look how many people are visiting our website. Look how many views we got on YouTube. Nobody cares. Like honestly, why should I care? Okay, what do views on YouTube get us? What do website visits get us? So one step further on website visits would be like number of downloads of actual resources and tools, okay? One step further from that would be how useful were those tools? So if somebody could have gone to your website, great, I don't really care. They may have come to your website and clicked right off. Maybe you like offered some like 
$100 raffle and a whole bunch of people came to your website. It has nothing to do with your cause. Okay, so those numbers can be manipulated. Then, number of downloads. Better. People actually want to come to you for resources and tools and you're proving that because you're saying, oh, look at all these downloads. We had 1,500 downloads of our toolkit this year. Cool. But what if your toolkit sucks? Like, you could have been really good at selling a toolkit and people could have been really interested in the toolkit, but it actually could have been like a horrible toolkit. Somebody could have uploaded the wrong file to your website. So the toolkit actually did nothing. The download, the number of downloads means nothing. But if you have an automated email that goes out, you know, within two days of somebody downloading and it says like, listen, we have a responsibility to our stakeholders and our donors and the community we serve to prove that the content that we deliver is meaningful and useful to you. Can you take this one question survey and have it embedded right in the email? How useful was the toolkit or would you be able to take action from this toolkit? And then people can just answer that one question. It should be like a Likert scale, extremely useful, not useful at all, so that you can get a rating. So if you get above a four usefulness rating, four or above, then you can say that X percentage of people that downloaded the item actually reported it to be useful. Now you're starting to get to, is anybody better off because of your things? Okay, so you have to get to why should anybody care? And that metric is that you can prove that people are better off because of your goods and your services. Okay? So I want to give you a couple examples. Usually the is anybody better off metric it is a percentage of the whole. We know that you're going to track how much because nonprofits are just really good at tracking how much. So how many people you actually served, how many people came to your website, how many people downloaded something. That's a how much metric. It actually doesn't mean that much, right? Again, you could say that you had 25 people come through your domestic violence course or register for it. And you could think that that sounds pretty good or 250 people register for it, but it means nothing if your course sucks. Maybe you have how many people came through your domestic violence course, okay? And you had 25 people come through or 250 people come through. And last year you only had 100. And so now that you have more people coming through, it's even better. But that doesn't really mean anything. All that means is that you got better at marketing. Maybe people were like court ordered to come to your course and it had nothing to do with the value of your course. It just had to do with your relationships. So maybe the course was so bad that people dropped out or whatever. So what you need to do is have not just the number, the number is important. Okay. We need to know what we're looking at here. Is it 25 people? Is it two people? Is, is it 250 people? Stakeholders, donors want to know how many people you're serving. So I'm not saying not to track that, but you can't stop there. It's not good enough. So 250 people come through your course. Maybe a percentage is how many people actually completed it. But a better metric is how many people feel like you gave them the tools and skills that they need to choose better relationships or that sounded very victim blaming. They felt like they you validated their trauma or something like that. You need to have not just the how much but then the percentage of those people that actually got the desired result. Okay, so how do you do that? You should go back to your mission. Of course, your mission has a desired result that you're trying to achieve for some population. I hope it does. If it doesn't, go ahead and check out this video, how to write a mission statement that doesn't suck. And that's going to help you refine your mission statement. I also believe each one of your programs needs to have a mini mission statement or what I call a purpose statement. And that should be the desired result that you're trying to achieve 
for a specific population or the desired result you're trying to achieve with that program. So if the program that you're trying to, um, say you have a mentorship program and the purpose statement is that you're developing life skills in foster youth. Okay, so you're going to have the how much metric, which is you had 25 kids come through the program. And then the is anybody better off is going to be the percentage of those kids that actually develop life skills. If you are claiming that you are developing life skills in foster adopted youth, or you're developing life skills, period, you need to have a metric that measures how many, what percentage of the people that go through your program actually has have life skills developed. So how do you do that? You can go and find tools online that are validated that track life skills. I actually personally was not able to find a validated tool that I liked that spoke to the program that I had developed enough that I just created my own. Okay, and yes, do you wanna to work to get your stuff evidence-based and, and validated? Of course you do. But I knew that I had six life skill areas that I wanted to test kids on, so I did a pre and a post test, and I said, how are you is self-regulation and independence and self-worth and all of these things. I had four questions per category, and then at the end of their program year with us, they answered the exact same questions, and we were able to compare and see how many kids actually improved in life skills and which life skill areas did they improve in. So now I'm saying of 25 kids that were enrolled, 80% of them had a positive life skill change, okay? Or they improved their life skills. They developed new life skills, okay? If you have a mission or a program purpose that says that you are creating trauma-sensitive classrooms in Brevard County, whatever county you're in, then you may have a whole program where you go out and you educate schools, you educate teachers on trauma-informed uh, or trauma-sensitive classrooms, okay? So you could do the number of schools or the number of teachers that you teach. So we reached 1,500 teachers this year. We reached 20 schools in the county this year. Then you wanna go one step further and say the percent who actually applied their learning. So this could be the percent of teachers that actually did one or more action to create their uh, classroom to be trauma-informed. Maybe they went through a whole trauma-informed classroom certification program. They moved past your initial training and they did something to make their classroom more trauma-informed. And you would report that as a percentage. So 80%, 50% is great. 50% of teachers that go through your initial training actually do something to help their classroom be more trauma-informed. That is, is anybody better off? Yes, because now we are getting more schools and more teachers and more classrooms trauma-informed, which is exactly what we said we do. So it's speaking directly to your mission. People are better off. Or you have percentage of schools in the county that were able to become a trauma-sensitive school. Maybe you have individual programs for the teachers and then you have a whole program for the school. If the whole school wants to get like certified as a trauma-informed school, then you have that program as well. And you're saying the percentage of schools that you have deemed trauma-informed. One more example, equipping moms to become legislative advocates for maternal health. Okay, so you might have a program that, uh, an online program that moms go through to become legislative advocates and learn how to share their story and what they can do to push along legislation. Okay, so you're gonna have your number in your program that you have 100 people each year go through this program or however many people enrolled. You might wanna have the percent that graduated, right? So it's not just number enrolled, but how many people actually complete your program? 
So if you have a retention rate that's really high, like 98% of people that start our program end our program, that's awesome. This really is more of a performance measure. So this is a metric to actually show how well you're doing. Um, but if you show yourself that only 22% of people complete your program, but your enrollments just keep going up, enrollments just keep going up, but if you have a horrible uh, retention or a horrible graduation rate, then you're going to want to do more to have incentives or to engage people or go back to your curriculum and see if it's good. Um, talk to the people that quit and ask them, like, what happened there? How could we have made this better um, and more engaging and had you stay committed to the program? Okay, so that's a performance metric to look at. How many people are actually graduating? And then ask some questions about that and set a goal for yourself that you want to make sure 80% of people graduate if they enroll. Okay, but you need to go one step further. What does it all mean? What does it matter if you train them how to be an advocate and they never go out and they never do anything? Okay, so this specific thing, like, okay, let's say with uh, legislative advocacy, there's a whole bunch of things they could do. They could share their story with a blog. They could call a legislator. They could sign a petition. They could organize something in their community. They could do several things. With this better off, I would probably make it of the people that graduated from our program, this percentage has taken one or more actions to actually become an advocate. That could mean a survey where there's a check all that apply and basically it's like, have you done any of these things? Have you responded to an action alert? Have you signed a petition? Have you shared your story with a legislator? Have you called a local legislator? Have you sent a letter? Whatever the thing is. And if they just check off one of those things, that is one more person that has become an advocate because of your training, okay? So that's what percentage of people that enrolled in your program actually took one or more action since enrolling. That's a better off metric. Now, I want to say that the real better off data comes from outside of your organization, usually from census data, right? Like, do we really care that moms become advocates? Not really. What we really care is that there's legislation passed and that moms have better, what we really want is not to have to, you know, advocate for these bills or laws or whatever to be passed so that because there's no issue anymore, right? We don't want to have to create trauma-sensitive schools. We want schools to just be trauma-sensitive. You have to think about what the bigger, better off is. Like, okay, it's cool that you're going out there and you're educating people on trauma-informed schools, trauma-sensitive schools, and it's super cool that like 50% of the people that take your training actually do implement something into their classroom to make it trauma-sensitive. But I don't know that that really matters. And what does being a trauma-sensitive school get me as a donor or a funder? So then you might wanna think about what does it get you? Well, you can see if you're being more trauma sensitive because a lot of these kids with trauma would get expelled or suspended often taking their time out of school, which you've deemed or you have a bunch of literature to show that that's not good. So maybe you need to go to your census data for your county and see if it's out there expulsion rates or suspension rates, okay? And see if you can compare. Do the schools that you've trained or have become trauma-sensitive schools, do they have better outcomes than the schools that haven't? That's the real better off, okay? Do they have better graduation rates? Do they have more kids going to college, more kids getting jobs, more kids staying in school or, or something like that? So you want to really think about the better off. Like the initial better off, 
which is okay for right now is just that the percent of people that are actually doing something with what you gave them. So number of what you gave them, percentage of those people that actually are doing something with what you gave them. And then the big juicy one is like, what does that get us? A reduction in crime, reduction in expulsion rates, more people getting jobs, better unemployment, you know, whatever. But these bigger census issues, uh, more laws being passed, less moms dying in childbirth, um, less people going into foster care. Okay. But right now it would be difficult for you to say, we are going to mark all of our success, hang all of our success, hang that hat on um, whether or not the foster care rates go down. The reason why you can't do that is because, oh, there could be another drug epidemic. The opioid epidemic is feeding more kids into the system. You can barely keep up, but your system, your program really helps because without your program, there'd be double the crisis that there is, okay? So all I'm asking you to do is think of the bigger better off. If you do this, if you're successful at developing life skills in foster kids, in creating trauma-sensitive schools, in, in equipping moms to be legislative advocates, then what? What's your ideal then what? And at least be able to make the bridge, make the argument, make the case that if you continue doing what you're doing, that you're going to aid in this crisis, this you know maternal health crisis or whatever it is. Um, and that ideally one day, you know, if everybody got our services, everybody that was eligible got our services, then the world would have our desired result. And as a nonprofit, we could cease to exist, which would be great. You also have to always think, be thinking about upstream solutions. So say you're a dog rescue or you're an animal shelter and you have dogs come in and a big key to your success is the percentage of dogs that get adopted out. So you have a hundred dogs come in and 80% of those dogs get adopted out and that's a great rate. And then maybe the next year you have 90% of dogs adopted out. But it, it might be a little skewed because what if that next year you only had 20 dogs come in and yeah, you're able to say 100% are adopted out because you stopped taking dogs in. Maybe you were like turning dogs away just so that this percentage could get higher, okay? So you need to make sure all of your data makes sense. Now let's say you have 100 dogs come in, you have 80% of dogs adopted out and you keep moving at that and you just keep trying to help getting your adoption program going, you keep as more dogs come in, you keep trying to, you know, get the community to take these dogs in and be great adoptive homes. That's great. But at some point you need to st step back and say, what's a more upstream solution and possibly invest some of your programming into how do we get it? So more dogs are not uh, relinquished to um, our shelter. So that might be education campaigns, it might be giving away free spay and neutering, you know, all the things that animal shelters do to make it so less dogs are actually coming through the door. They're not just focused on, through all the dogs that come through the door, these are all the ones that we want to adopt out. They're also saying, that's great that we have this awesome adoption program, we're working so hard to do, do the adoption, but we see the upstream need for us to just stop the dogs from coming in. Because if we could stop the dogs from coming in, then we wouldn't need to spend all of this time working at the, at the bottom here. So that's why it's called an upstream solution, because if you do that, there will be no need for the adoptions. These metrics, the whole better off, should get you in a mindset of, is there a more upstream, more effective, more meaningful way to get to our desired result?
So if your desired result is that you want all schools to be trauma sensitive or you want to end the foster care crisis, is there a better way of ending the foster care crisis than uh, developing life skills? And should you be thinking about that? Or is there a better way to develop life skills than a mentorship program? Or always be thinking about like, how are you going to make the biggest impact so that you can articulate that people are better off that the whole issue is better off because of your programs, okay? So hopefully thinking about the better off metric is going to get you in this mindset. So let's recap real quick. So you need to have an is anybody better off metric. If all of your metrics are how much you do, then you need to go a step further than that, okay? And you want to report this as a percentage. So of the number of people you serve, what percentage of them are actually getting the desired result or moving beyond what you've given them to do something? Okay, these are like behaviors, applied knowledge, actions, skills, okay? What percentage of people you serve actually went on to do something or be better off or get home ownership or be self-sustaining, whatever that thing is, what's the percentage? And then make the case for why that matters for the overarching issue. The more people that are self-sustaining, the less people we have on state subsidies, the more generations are self-sustaining, okay? So go far to the big societal issue and make the case why if you have this percentage that's better off and you continue to get these people that are better off, this percentage doing things, then that's really going to help overall society, okay? All right. I hope that made sense. Don't forget to go grab your metrics that matter worksheet at forpurposelive.com slash metrics. If this was helpful, please give this video a thumbs up, subscribe, and leave a comment. I want to hear one of your is anybody better off metrics. And if you're fumbling with it, I'm always happy to respond as well. Thank you so much for your service to this world.